Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We were driving in the car the other day and there was a one of those billboards, changing billboards that flashed up something about Hamilton Day. And the person I was with, and I don't remember who I was driving with, said, what is that? And I flashed back to a conversation I believe I had last year around this time. Because last year at this time, they, the they, the people behind this had brought it back after I don't know how many years, like a long time, Hamilton Day had returned. So now we can move from it being, hey, it's Hamilton Day to the annual tradition of Hamilton Day. Helping us with this, uh, the new CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, who uh, replaces a guy you may have heard of, Keenan Loomis, um, takes his spot. Uh, Greg Dunnett is with us. Greg, how are you today? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thanks for jumping on. And hey, congratulations on the new gig and uh, on your future mayoral run. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, um, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm more focused on uh, our Ticats winning on uh, on Sunday than anything else right now. But uh, I All right, so it wasn't a, positive So it's not a prerequisite that when you sign on, you have to say within like two terms, I will run for mayor. That's not in the small print. Definitely not in the small print, but you, hey, you never know where the <laughs> the world's going to take you, right? So, we uh, Hamilton to Hamilton Day is uh, it was a great idea last year when they brought it back. It's a good idea in general. Uh, the idea being basically, uh, I think, if if it's still the same as it was, it's a day. Uh, by the way, November the fifth, um, which is two days from now, so Saturday, a day to get out and support local business. But it seems, Greg, and, and like we have not talked, you and I, about this, but it seems if we've got a recession looming on the horizon and we're just coming out of COVID and all this, this seems even to me more important that we get out right now and do this. Uh, I could not agree more, Scott. Um, so bang, you're bang on on what the day is. It's this Saturday, November 5th. It is a one-day celebration of supporting local and small businesses in our community. And that's brick and mortar as well as online. And it really is to re-inject local dollars into our economy, but also drive that community connection and, and reignite community pride. And I think you touched on this a little bit, but there are a lot of reasons why, especially going into recession, there are a lot of benefits of shopping local. Uh, it strengthens our local economy, creating new jobs. Those taxes are reinvested in our own community. Uh, many of the small business there community do provide a, a more personalized and better customer service. Uh, and those small businesses often give back to the sports teams and other charitable uh, organizations in our community. And then there is, you know, if you really want to look to the future and really think about how you're making a positive impact, shopping locally actually is more environmentally friendly because we're driving less, there's less, you know, there's just less it's everything that goes along. It's a more environmentally friendly. So for all those reasons, it is a fantastic day to celebrate our community. And I think also, you know, the vibrancy of our communities and, and there's so many little nooks and crannies in this community. And so, you know, I will, as a Dundas local, I will be downtown Dundas, but I'm going to make sure I get out to Lock Street. I'm going to go down to Ottawa. I'm going to go up to concessions and I'm going to check out some of those additional kind of areas and just see kind of maybe find a new coffee shop or a new restaurant and, and try something that's out of my traditional comfort zone. How much concern is there right now about what the future holds? Because again, we just keep hearing these stories about recession. I mean, for a small business, especially 
Is it something that is looming on the horizon that's a little daunting? I, I think we're, I think every business is thinking about it and considering it. And I, you know, every, I, I would even go so far as to say every family's doing the same thing, right? We, we all, there's definitely been inflation. There's obviously increasing interest rates. Uh, there are all the, signs that a recession could be coming. And I think, again, that is this day now holds additional weight of helping support those businesses. I know when the pandemic hit, you know, you know, where we could make a contribution to our gym or the local pizza shop, we made sure we did because we wanted to make sure that they were there uh, this is more on a personal level, but we wanted to make sure that they were there when we came out of the pandemic. And we, uh, and I think that thought process needs to go be the same when you're going into the recession. Maybe, you know, it is worth that extra five minutes to go down to the corner store instead of just taking the easy route and ordering it online through a major retailer. So the, the trick though, Greg, and this, and, and I, I believe this, I mean, it, it does become the balancing act that we can say we want to really support local businesses because there's a recession coming. And then with your family, you say, yeah, but if there's a recession coming, I need to save every dollar and I might be able to get something very similar online. How do you balance the, I want to help, but I also want to look after my pennies. Yeah, I think, I think, again, I'll, I'll just speak on a personal level here, Scott. I think what you need to do is identify where you can make those choices. And, and again, sometimes, you know, make sure that you're not defaulting to the easy solution of just ordering online, but trying to take that 10 minutes and drive down. And then, again, when you're – when you're investing or when you know is buying that coffee can you can you purchase it from a a store that's that's local and that's kind of the just make some of the small decisions and i think everybody's got to do what's right for their family but again i think you're right it has to be a balancing act where you can help maintain our community and again there is the benefit when you do shop local that those dollars go back into our into our taxes, right? So I, mm. I think another way to look at it is, you know, we just had a we just had an election where infrastructure was a massive part. So when you're buying local, you're helping support that that reinvestment in our community. This is maybe an unfair question because you're new-ish in this job. So you weren't doing this, you weren't holding this position last year, but do you know what the buy-in from the local business community is this year compared to last year? Once it's been done now, has it been an easier sell? It has been, and I think that was the the pickup. So, uh, a very fair question. I think we did uh, about seven hundred five businesses participate in this event last year, and we've exceeded exceeded that this year. And the the expansion has gone beyond just businesses. But now we're you know, and and the BIAs participated last year, but eleven of the BIAs are participating with us. But we now have eight markets going on throughout the community. So. Uh, there's this expansion and growth of the event and more opportunities to come down. And again, maybe spend your 
dollars on buying a unique one-of-a-kind piece, then maybe that you, again, that's kind of the specialization of an event like this. There are these these special programs. And, um, you know, I don't want to leave out, like, our food and beverage partners and as well. You know, they're making special drinks for Hamilton Day. They're, they're doing these little extra things, again, just celebrating our community. And, again, I think the pride that Hamiltonians have come to feel about about the upward trajectory of this community is continues to be even stronger now than it was even five years ago. So Hamilton day is November the 5th. Uh, get out there and do something. Even as Greg says, even if it's buying a coffee, uh, really uh, yeah. appreciate the time today. Greg Dummett, the C- CEO of the chamber of commerce. Really appreciate it. Greg. Thanks for this. Thanks Scott. And if anybody, uh, Hamilton there's an online map showcasing all the businesses that are going to participate in the day. So thank you very much for your time today. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Christia Freeland, the finance minister, gave her mini budget and her outline of where we're going. And so there's good news. There's good news. Um, The government brought in, the federal government brought in revenues of roughly $40 billion more than was projected just back in April. That's good news, except, of course, for the fact that most of the reason you would expect that they brought in an extra $40 billion was because of inflation. Higher prices, well, you pay higher taxes as a percentage of a higher price. So, you know, we're, we're the reason we got more revenue is because we were all paying more. Nonetheless, $40 billion more. The, well, I'll say bad news, some may disagree, is that it sounds like the federal government is going to pour this right back into the market, which seems to have been the cause of some of our inflation was too much money. However... I am merely a bystander picking up little strands here. Let me bring in Dr. Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. He's the one who knows what all this is about. He joins us now. Thank you for doing this today. As always, whenever we have a budget. Uh, My pleasure, Scott. Let's go to uh, the second part first. I have been told by all the people who are way smarter than me at this, including you and Marvin Ryder and everyone else that part of the reason we had this part of the reason we had all this inflation recently was too much money cycling around in our economy so when we're trying to get inflation down by raising interest rates is it not defeating the purpose by taking billions more government money windfall money that we found and putting it back right back into the economy that is certainly my position and my view. Um, and and just so you know, I mean, I, I agree with uh, Marvin on that, Marvin Ryder, uh, Professor Ryder. Um, but there's many others saying that. Uh, professor Milton Friedman, a very, very famous professor at the University of Chicago in the 60s, 70s, 80s, he won a Nobel Prize. And he, a very well-deserved Nobel Prize, showing in, in his massive uh, research of countries over a very long period of time, uh, that he showed that governments are a very, very important uh, government spending, excess spending is a very important contributor to inflation. And 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 he, as I said, he won a Nobel Prize for this. I've been arguing since 2020 that we, I'm not saying we caused it. I'm not getting into that game that Canada caused it. Of course, we didn't. The cause was the pandemic that led to the government decisions around the world, including our country, to send most, not everybody, but most people home. So we blew the whole place of the economy up. You know, we, we blew up the supply chains, told everybody to go home, and large numbers of people went home. And, uh, and then we started to spend money like there was no tomorrow. But I just want to give you a quick little metric to show where I'm going. 
In 2020, the government of Canada was spending just about $300 billion. I'm not getting into whether that was the right amount, but it was a very generous amount. I mean, the Trudeau government had been in power since 2015, and the federal government spending, government of Canada only, had gone up to $300 billion. So what? Well, today, in the House of Commons, Christy Freeland, the finance minister of the government of Canada, stood up and said, okay, here's our new mini-budget, basically, and we're going to be spending and almost $450 billion. In other words, in <laughs> three years... Three years, we've gone up by a third, a third, from three hundred billion to four hundred and fifty billion. We have money solution around in the economy, and that's not even counting the provincial government spending, by the way, which has gone up very dramatically across the country. And so, you know, the best way to think about inflation, and it's a colloquial way using, you know, ordinary English language, not techno babble, is it's too much money chasing too few goods. And, and I lived through that in the 70s. It's not a theory. I lived through it. And I saw inflation go from 4 to 5 to 6 to 7, not all at once. It went up over several years. And eventually it peaked at 14% in 1979-80. And they had to drive the interest rates all the way up to 20 to kill it. Because they had to drive the interest rates up that high to kill inflation. Produced a huge honking recession, by the way. But coming back to the present, because we're not here to talk about history, the, uh, again, I'm not saying that the government caused the inflation, but what we did was we made it much worse, because we, were, we had a fire burning in front of us in the front yard, and instead of taking water or fire retardant or something like that to put on the fire, we poured gasoline on the fire, and guess what the fire did? It got bigger. It gets stronger. So and how do we how do we deal? Okay, so there would be those, and I, I fully understand what they would be saying that because of inflation, there are Canadians who need help, and the way you help them is you put more money into their pockets. So I understand that line of thinking, and I believe there probably are Canadians. I, in fact, I know there are Canadians who are struggling right now with inflation and and, and having a tough time. How do you then? do this without doing the other how, how do you how do you help the right. people but, without look can i just jump in on this because it's just taken as an article of faith that we're all you know reduced to large large numbers are i'm being colorful to, to get my point across quickly large numbers of canadians are reduced to eating cat food and dog food <laughs> i've looked yeah, i'm not sure numbers. we're going there but yeah but i've heard that i just like everyone else we've heard that stuff yeah listen in 2020 that was before covid before we spent a lot more, we were spending, I looked this up, this is StatsCan data. Federal and provincial governments were spending $500 billion a year on the social safety net of Canada. That's a half a trillion dollars, almost 25% of GDP. So where I'm going with this, and some people will probably hate me for saying this, we are one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we, our poverty rate has collapsed, collapsed. It didn't go up, as people are saying. That's what they're suggesting. Oh, my goodness, things are getting worse and worse. The poverty rate's going through the roof. The poverty rate has gone down in the last four years. It went down from almost 10% down to 6%. Again, partly because we put such huge amounts of money into the economy. So what people are going to hate me for what I'm saying is it's a myth that there are very large numbers or substantial numbers of Canadians who have fallen off the cliff. 
Okay, I'm not saying that people are saying I love paying more for my food, 10 percent more. I don't either, by the way. I hate paying two dollars a liter for my uh, gasoline and my Honda. But to suggest that I can no longer eat or I can no longer survive because of this is not true. Are there some people below the poverty line? Yes, there are. Six percent, to be precise. And am I saying we should not help them? No, I'm not. I'm saying that the, 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 the claim that there are large numbers of people who need very substantial amounts of help is certainly not true today after the government is spending, went from $300 billion a year only three years ago, it's spending four, federal government only, $450 billion a year, and that's not counting the provinces. And so what I'm trying to say is we are already pouring gargantuan, gigantic, humongous amounts of money into the economy to help people. So it's a myth that we're not, quote, doing anything. Or another one, the safety net has collapsed. No, it hasn't. There are there, there are parts of it that have been troubled for sure, and we, we don't have time to get into that. That's for another day. Let me ask you this. We have time for one more, and I'll let you choose which one you want to get into. Okay. Should the government have been putting an extra more than $40 million into the CBC with the windfall today? Or are you more surprised that we're going to spend almost half a billion dollars combating monkeypox outbreaks? That, that doesn't seem to be much of a problem. Here, I'm going to answer you this way. I'm not saying that they shouldn't put new money into new initiatives. What I'm saying is, and I'm sorry I did not copy this from Pierre Polyev. I've been saying this for years. If you're going to announce new money, make sure it's funded by cuts to existing spending. When you're spending a half a trillion dollars, the government account is spending almost, almost, $450 billion is almost a half a trillion. And I've lived in Ottawa all my life. And I have all kinds of friends in the government, and they've lived through success of, you know, austerity programs. There is huge amounts of program review that they could do to say, okay, we're going to spend more on monkeypox or this or CBC that. We'll then fund it with reductions in existing programs from existing government budgets so that your spending is completely neutral. And so if you add $50 billion, if you want to spend $50 billion more, then you go cut $50 billion from existing programs so it's exactly even. So you're not increasing spending, pouring more stimulus into the economy that's only going to make the inflation worse. But I, and and look, I'm I I'm singing from the same song, not as well as you, but nobody ever wins votes by cutting stuff. You win votes by well, giving you stuff. Say you tie it to the to the new initiatives and say we're going to do this, we're going to target this, we're going to do dental plan, and say look, people, but it's got to be paid for. Everybody knows that. You go to the grocery store, you got to pay for your groceries or your gas at the gas station. So we're going to do all these things that people want. But by the way, we're going to fund it from existing programs. That's all. I don't believe that people are going to rebel and go out and start rioting because the government says it's going to live within its means. And when you're spending a half a trillion dollars a year, I simply do not accept, and I'm saying this to somebody who studies government, I do not accept that there aren't savings that can be achieved. And I'm not invoking waste, fraud, and abuse. I'm saying that programs come to an end. They no longer serve their purpose. You know, just like cars wear out and and things wear out, programs run out of their usefulness. And when you're spending that kind of money, there's always savings that can be achieved by re 
allocating money from one department or one program to another program in another department. So they could have taken all that spending they announced today and funded it through existing spending so it was net neutral on the economy. I bet you that if you – got to run. I bet you that if you took every department in government and assigned them another department outside of their own – they could very easily find savings. You can never find savings in your own, but if you had That's to be right. put looking at someone else's, I bet you could. John Chrétien and, and Paul Martin, liberal, liberal leaders, showed that with the largest downsizing in Canadian history in 1995-97. I did a paper on it. And Ottawa did not collapse. Canada did not collapse. We did not go over the cliff into Armageddon. We came out the other side, and actually we were even more prosperous. The economy boomed in the late 90s after the largest downsizing. So, and, and I'm not even talking a massive downsizing like Kretchen did in 1995. I'm just talking if you spend $50 billion more, then you take it out of existing programs. So it's net. It's zero-based budgeting, basically, mm-hmm, which Jimmy mm-hmm, Carter did yeah. 30 odd years ago in the U.S. It's uh, it's the way municipal governments basically have yeah. to operate uh, yeah. financially, and um, yeah. the, probably for their benefit, because who knows how much we'd be in debt right now in our cities if they were allowed to run operating deficits. Uh, Ian Lee, I wish we had a lot more time. Another time. Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. As always, thank you for this. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The CFL announced its all-stars this week. And so a number of players got celebrated for their great performances and a number of players kind of maybe thought they got missed out on and they should have deserved it. Well, not long after that was released, the CFL announced, oopsie, wrong list. We didn't tabulate this right. Gave too much weight to one side, not to another. And yeah, some of those people who we announced as all-stars um, they weren't. Sorry. Let me bring in Rick Zamperin, um, host of Good Morning Hamilton and um, the fifth quarter, more particularly for this. Rick, thanks for doing this today. Hey, you got it, Scott. I just cannot fathom for all of anything how you possibly make this mistake. I just I, I can't figure out how you can make an announcement like this publicly and then say, sorry, got it wrong. It's a, it's a disaster for the league. This is this is not this is not egg on the face of the CFL. This is a Western omelet on the huh. face of the Canadian Football League. It is it is such an embarrassment for a professional sports league to hand out accolades to its players, to its employees. And then say, you know what? Uh, we didn't count the ballots correctly, and the and the and the ranked voting points correctly. We <laughs> we have to now change what we just did. And not only that, all you people who are all stars, and and maybe a lot of you have all star bonuses in your contracts, and you're celebrating, and you're you know uh, your f- friends and family are sending you texts saying, hey, way to go and getting that bonus, and all of a sudden. The league says, uh, actually, no, we goofed up and you're not going to get the accolade or the bonus that goes along with it. Boy, oh boy, this you talk about a Mickey Mouse um, league. This has fallen into that category with this one. I mean, I thought, and I still do, I thought that Steve Harvey announcing the wrong winner of Miss Universe... <laughs> 
was the worst thing. And I still think it is because that was a live show and there's a poor woman standing there holding a bouquet of flowers wearing a tiara who now has to hand it off. I mean, that was the worst. (laughs) At least you don't have tiaras in this one with the CFL and bouquets of flowers. But the difference, though, between that and this. So that one, you know, that's that's the granddaddy of all the screw ups. But this one, you had a chance. Like Steve Harvey was handed a a note and had to read it, and he read the wrong name. It was an honest mm-hmm. mistake. This one, you had to go through the effort of typing it up and putting it on Twitter or wherever else. Somewhere along the way, you had ample opportunity to double-check to make sure that you had done this right. This is the difference. That one, terrible but live and oops. This one, there to me, there's no excuse that you didn't have some way of double-checking this. Yeah, I mean, the number of things came to mind. I didn't even remember the Steve Harvey thing. The one I thought about was uh, the Oscars with Moonlight. Uh, that too. I don't the, other movie, the other movie that was involved in there. But, you know, what what came to mind for me is, you know, where are the checks and balances, right? Yes. Like you're going to have an individual or a team that is tabulating all these votes, right? Like the way it works is, you know, you get sent an email if you are a, one of the voters, and I'm one of the guys that gets to vote on these things, and I – I take great pride in doing so, and I take great responsibility in, in making sure my votes count. Um, and that means, you know, watching all the games, uh, you know, consuming all the information. So I've put in the time and the effort to, you know, vote for these guys, whether it's all-stars or most outstanding players at their positions, whatever the case is. There's got to be a team at the CFL. It, it, it's got to be more than one person who gets all this information, um, disseminates who has voted for who, uh, you know, who's got the first place votes? Who has the second place votes? When you get to the receiver position, it's, you know, one through five. Then you tabulate them all up. That's all fine and well. Now you got to do it again and make sure you got it right. And to me, someone goofed at some point in time, and the checks, the balances, the double checks, or the triple checks failed or did not occur. And I think I'm leaning towards the latter. Um, lesson learned for the league, but boy, oh boy, this is a huge, a huge gaffe on their part. Okay, and again, I, I don't want to um, pretend that, you know, I work in the media, you work in the media, I'm not going to stand here and say I've never made a mistake. I have made a mistake before. Right. The difference, I think, and I, again, I don't want to be th- throwing, I mean, I live in a glass house, I don't want to throw too many stones here, but... This you're not if you're in the CFL in this office with the awards, this is not something you're doing every single day. There are it's once a year and it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And so that to me is why that's where the difference is that that somewhere, even if it was have two people tabulate the scores separately to make sure that your numbers align or Mm -hmm. I don't know what I don't know what. But I just Rick, I can't imagine At a time when, and look, I've talked about this on the show, at a time when you are, if you're in the CFL, truly, maybe more than ever, scrambling to put off the perception that the NFL has become the more entertaining league. The CFL was always the entertaining, high-scoring league. The NFL has kind of stolen that now. You're fighting for credibility and for a reason for people to watch you and to bring new fans in. This kind of thing just is is like it's such a credibility killer. It really is. It's such a credibility killer. Absolutely. And, and think about this. Um, you know, this wasn't 
you know, a mistake that resulted in one name being, you know, erroneously reported on the list or, or released to the public, and you know, they took they took the one name back. Like this is multiple players that are impacted by this goof up, and whatever the system was to tabulate these votes, um, burn it up and think of something new, because it had failed miserably this year. Worked. It worked great to a T for many, many years, and I'm not sure what changed or what they didn't do this time around. Um, but man, oh man, yeah, the, the terms Mickey Mouse, egg on their face, um, catastrophe, you know, for the players who were yanked off the list, you know, the ones that were added to the list are certainly happy, but at the end of the day, this is a, I don't it's a head-scratcher. To me, it's a head-scratcher. It makes the league look uh, unprofessional at the end of the day. I mean, this is... One of the simplest tasks that a pro league will have is honoring its best players. It's not that hard to do. You know, people cast their votes, you tabulate them up, you double-check it, make sure it's all right, and there you go. Uh, and clearly that wasn't done. Let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know if you saw this tweet, and I was, I've was i been trying to interpret what it means, and I don't know that we can, but uh, Simone Lawrence, who, you know, everybody knows who Simone Lawrence is, great player. Uh-huh. When this was all going on, put out in the middle of this, put out a treat, tweet, and I don't know if this is, I, I think it's related. Not enough people truly care about the CFL and it shows. Do you, do you, did you, did you interpret that as being part of this? Because Simone is like the biggest CFL backer of all time among players. He really is. Yeah. Yeah, I, it could be. You know, I can I can make the connection. Um, but in the same sense, I mean, that knowing Simone, it could be about anything. To tell you the truth, <laughs> but yeah, it, it really it really could be because you know when when you look at the initial list, um, you know, especially I think it was you know one of the things that caught my eye was you know there wasn't that many uh, Calgary Stampeders on the list, especially from an offensive line perspective. And I thought, you know, the way they've run the ball with one of the best running backs in the league and, you know, their quarterbacks don't get sacked a lot, I thought, okay, someone missed the boat on that, and clearly that was the case. Um, So, yeah, that could probably be tied to it. It could be tied to, I don't know, attendance figures at certain places that we saw, seen throughout the year. Um, Who knows? It could be an internal thing, although I doubt because he, you know, he keeps his – his card's close to the vest when when it comes to that. So, yeah, I I, I can see the tie into the all-star voting. All right, let's move to. Uh, we got a few minutes here. Let's move to more, um, more happier things. Let's say than this, because uh, you know, let's just pray that they never do this again. That this gets fixed. But we do have a playoff game coming up with the Tie Cats and with the All Stars. Okay, let's go back to the All Stars for one second, only because I got to admit I was a little surprised to see the Tie Cats out of all the teams in the East end up with the most All Stars for a team that finished third and at one point was three and nine. Um, I was a little surprised to see them do so well. Nonetheless, they finished strong, which clearly is going to help you in voting. Is this a team that is peaking at the right time and that the other teams in the East should be fearful of? I would say the first part of that is definitely true. You know, this team has won four in a row, four out of the last five, um, you know, two very meaningful games, or actually, you know, I'll put three in that category. Three out of, the, out of these last five games have been truly meaningful games. The one against Winnipeg, you know, you're off the bye week after a horrendous showing on Labor Day, and you beat the best team in the league, uh, convincingly. Uh, you beat Calgary at McMahon Stadium for the first time since God was a boy. That, that was a huge victory. And then 
you know, in a in a game in which you uh, they were able to clinch a playoff spot, they did with a home win against Ottawa. And I think more often than not this year, those big games they haven't they haven't shown up. They haven't played well. They haven't gotten the victory. And finally, for the first time in those three games, they had to show up. They had to play their best to get the W. And I think they did. So, yeah, they're the hottest. Really, statistically, they're the hottest team in the league on a four-game winning streak. But I'm not quite sure Montreal and Toronto are fearful of the Ticats. And I say that because Toronto has beaten them three out of four times. Montreal has beaten Hamilton two out of three times, both times at Percival Molson Stadium. So I think those teams are comfortable where they are. Um, you know, let's not forget Montreal rested a bunch of their players at the end of the season. Uh, Toronto is the bye week. They're going to be well rested. I think both of those teams are confident going into their game against the Ticats. There might be a little ounce to say, hey, you know, this is a team that's coming in on a pretty good heater. We have to play our best or else. Uh, and that is always the case in the playoffs. But certainly the Ticats are the hottest team. But I, I really, I truly don't believe that either Montreal or Toronto are, are thinking, you know, if, if 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 we don't necessarily have to play our best and still get the victory, I think, you know, that that's probably the mindset that they have. I would. My question about this is, I don't know which Ticat team shows up, and if the good Ticats show up, I think they can go a long, long way in this. I just don't know that I know. And I mean, look, they, they beat Winnipeg a few weeks ago, and you go, wow, that's like nobody beats Winnipeg. They, they crushed Winnipeg. And you're thinking, okay, here we go. This is now going to be just like they figured it out. Now they're going to roll on. And then it was Montreal the next week, right? And they go into Montreal and they lose. Yeah. And they didn't look very good. And you're like, okay, so what team is this? And that to me is the, that to me is the problem or the maybe not even a problem. That to me is the mystery here. That you could, if you were a gambling man, Rick, and I don't know if you are, I don't know that you would have confidence to put a dollar down on the Ticats because that dollar could come back in glorious ways for you or it could be gone instantly. I just have no idea. I was talking to a CHML listener at Mountain Tire today. I was getting my tires rotated. This is the talk of the town. It's what Ticats team is going to show up and is it going to be good or bad Dane Evans? You know, he's, he suddenly had this, almost like the good Hank, bad Hank, back to the Henry Burris days. Which Dane yeah. Evans is going to show up? Which Ticats team is going to show up? We, we, we've we seen it. We know that they can play tremendously well. We also know they can, you know, poop the bed, too. They've, they've done both. <laughs> yep. We just don't know which team is going to, you know, be on the field at that particular... My, my gut is they'll play some good football. I don't know if it's going to be their best. Uh, and they might need to be at their best to, to go all the way to the Grey Cup, but... Uh, if Dane has, has played like we know he can and, you know, find his receivers, get into a groove early, uh, the O-line plays well, they get a good run game going, the defense, uh, which has been really good all season, does their thing, and, and the special teams is, you know, close to being special, they could they could run the table. I mean, they have the goods to do so. Whether they can and whether they will, that's a different story. That's that's the question mark. All right, let me ask you two, a two-part question here, and I usually hate doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You've got Matt Schultz, who at times, the backup for Dane Evans, who has looked really good at times when he's had to, mm-hmm. to fill in. If you were the head coach, how quick would your your hook be if bad Dane Evans shows up to get Matt Schultz in there, knowing it's a playoff game, you have to win? So part one of the question is, how quick would your hook be? Part two is, how quick do you think Orlando Steinauer's hook is? My hook would probably be relatively similar to Coach O, um, because when he's made his move, 
know, more often than not, I'm thinking the same thing, like, okay, now it's time to do it. Uh, there have been some games where I've been a little earlier than him and some a little later than him. But if, if I were coaching the Ticats and things were not going well with Dane, you know, halftime is usually the time to do it, but it all depends. I mean, if this team's down 21-3 to after the first quarter – and, and Dane's not playing well. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm giving Matt the ball to say, all right, you know, you've proven to be very effective coming in. Uh, you're a dual-threat quarterback. The offense, you know, you, you know, you can run the offense. You've been successful. Uh, but if it's a close game at halftime and Dane's not playing well, I might just stick with him just to see, you know, how is he going to erupt in the third quarter? Are we going to get that boost? Uh, and then if not, you know, one or two series after that halftime, and let's hope the defense holds, I'd probably pull the trigger. See, I, I, uh, maybe it's because I grew up once upon a time. When I grew up in Toronto, it was in the Condridge Holloway Barnes era, Joe Barnes mm-hmm. era. Yeah. That I think has burned the thought into my head of <laughs> don't wait too long. And I would be probably way quicker because the other thing is, Rick, and like you, you are the football expert even ahead of me. I think that you can tell if it's good Dane or bad Dane early in games. there's There's yeah. been very few times that I've watched him and he's really struggled at the beginning and then all of a sudden he gets super hot. It, it seems as though you have a pretty good idea early on. Yeah, and again, it all depends. Like, if your defense is playing well, so if you, if, you know, Dane Evans' first two series, they go two and out, right? And Montreal doesn't score any points. Are you making the switch then? I no, I don't think so. No. It all depends on how Dane is playing. But if he goes two out the first two series and Montreal has 10 points on the board, you know, that the, the trigger figure is getting a little itchy right there. Yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not that itchy. I'm not two series in itchy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll get some lanocaine if that's the case. That, that's a little too itchy for anybody. It's but... a gold bond out, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that may be – anyone who's pulling the quarterback two series in, that may be a, you may be a little panicky. But I – a quarter? I mean, if, if after the first quarter nothing has happened, I and, – and the other thing is, Rick, I'm – I have yet – tell me this. The, at the beginning of this year – was it this year or last year? This year. The beginning of this year, they allowed teams to start putting two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Yes. I have yes. yet to really see that be used. And I would love in the playoff game when, you know what, maybe now's the time to do something that no one has seen before to see a play or two or a series or two that they draw up where both guys are on the field and you don't know where the ball's going. I would love to see that. The, the Ticats and a couple of other teams have used that. Um, we haven't seen any explosive plays from it. I mean, there's been you know, a couple of completions or you know, the, court, the other quarterbacks used as a decoy and you know, there's a good run or whatever the case is, but nothing, there was no highlight real stuff off of that kind of formation or the, or the dual quarterback on the field. Who knows? It might come Sunday. Uh, the Ticats might rip it out. Montreal might have something up their sleeve or Calgary or BC. Who knows? Um, speaking of the CFL Awards, let me just turn the table on you. Because I'm yes. having this internal debate okay. about the top Canadian of the year. You have Nathan Rourke, who for half a year was the talk of the CFL, and Curly Gittins Jr., the receiver of the Argos, who's had a phenomenal year, but he's going up against a guy who played half the season better than anybody else, maybe in league history. Who gets your vote? Because I'm kind of leaning towards Nathan Rourke, even though he played half a year. Well, it's what, what's the exact title of the award, Rick? Most Outstanding Canadian. 
So who was most outstanding? I don't think there's anything in there that says most outstanding over the course of an entire season or that you have to have played. I'm with you. I'm with Nathan Rourke because nothing about Curly Gittens being, you know, with the wrong team or anything. I just who was the most outstanding player when he was in? He was the most outstanding player. The BC Lions had. Well, we saw they didn't. You know, when he was in, it was a different team than when he was out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You're leaning towards Rourke as well? I, I That's the way I'm going. I mean, he was for eight or nine games or whatever it was. Uh, he, was he was it. I mean, he was the special sauce, not only in D.C., but throughout the league, um, and was heads and tails above any other quarterback. And so yeah. you're playing the most important position on a team that's winning football games and doing so convincingly. And he looks so good. That even though, you know, Gittins, I know he plays for the Argos, it's not an Argos thing. Even though he's had a phenomenal year, man, oh man, what Rourke did in half a season, some quarterbacks don't do in a whole year. Uh, well, let me, you know, let me throw that back at you then. Let me throw that back at you. Back in 1983, 84, when Wayne Gretzky had 215 points in a season and won the scoring title by 80 points. If Wayne Gretzky missed 30 games and still won the scoring title, should Wayne Gretzky have won the Hart Trophy as NHL MVP? I would say, sure, why not? He was the best yeah. player in the league. So, you know, if it, there are times when I would say that you have to have played the whole thing. But in this guy, I'm, I, I lean your way. I'd love to hear what other people have to say. You can hit us up on, uh, on the text machine. Uh, 905-645-3221. You can email me, radley at 900chml.com. You can email Rick. I don't know your email, Rick. What's your email? <laughs> Rick at 900CHML.com. Okay. Easy enough. Uh, I just hit the button and it pops up. Um, <laughs> let us know because I think it's, uh, that's a great discussion point. Do you have to have played the full year to be eligible in your mind? Obviously, it's not a rule, but in your mind, do you have to have played the full year to be eligible for an award? Interesting one. Hmm. Rick Sanford, we are uh, we're out of time, but I do uh, I'd look forward to hearing some res- response on that. Thank you for jumping in tonight. Really appreciate it. You got it. Anytime. Have a good one. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.